0: 16 minutes it is before 8pm and uh, you tuned in to Metro FM Talk with me, Bong Atawe. We now get into our wrap of uh, the big business stories that are moving markets at the start of this new week and uh, I'm joined by uh, independent analyst and market commentator Snesipo Manindra uh, to uh, take a look at some of these stories. Snesipo, good evening to you and welcome to Metro FM Talk once again. Hi Aya, how
1: are you today? Snesipo,
0: slowly but surely man, slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. With a bit of mshonyan as well, figure Yeah, I know what you mean. It's true. but yeah, we push on. Of course, of
1: course. I want
0: us to maybe take a look here firstly at uh, Boris Johnson and Brexit. Um, and uh, some of the things that happened on the weekend, we we saw there was that sitting of the House of Commons uh, uh, over the weekend, which uh, effectively complicated things somewhat for the Conservative Party and uh, Boris Johnson, and uh, I guess also giving him bum too up and about. Hey, go back to the EU and ask for an extension. Where are we now?
1: So uh, we are the, the issue with the British, and I think it is one of those things that it's a it's a function of the fact that although Brexit um has, was voted on more than two years ago. There is grooming, r- growing numbers in the, from the British society perspective who are not sure about Brexit anymore because they've now understood the full economic impact of Brexit. So although Boris Johnson has come to agreement bar with the EU, he doesn't actually have support in, uh, his own government. So they, because the thing is that it hurts them. So as much as you know, like said, they're like, ask for more time. But we don't have. We actually are not in the position to actually to, to to provide to to actually vote on this. Yes, you've come to an agreement. Yes, they even within his own party. The main issue is, and ultimately, is that constituencies within the British public.
0: Do not want Brexit anymore, mm, mm. and and so I guess one uh, you know gets a sense that there isn't any obligation on the European authorities here to accept this uh, request for an extension. I mean, I didn't know you're not No, you're not going to get this extension, and uh, we might find ourselves next week with a No Deal Brexit.
1: The thing is that the EU, at, at the same time, this is, remember this is politics. It's always, at the end of the day, it's always a game of ego. On one hand, they could be like, uh, I vote is a, you know what? Screw him. We've signed. You know, we agree. Sign or no sign, we'll be strong." At the other hand, at the same time, you've got to look at the fact that. There is a very large mathematical and economic variable reason why this thing needs to to either close it or they need to ask for an extension. And also, remember, how the EU treats Britain, says the president of how they will treat other countries who are contemplating exiting the Union. Mm. So at the same time... At the same time, at the same time, you also don't want to give other people ideas. You've got to be harsh. You have no choice because uh, what if for the French are like, no, Tina, we also want to leave. You must kill all those dreams. Hmm.
0: I don't know, man. I don't think uh, uh, right-wing forces in France or you know, anti-EU forces are that strong in France that, uh, you know, it would necessitate that kind of move. But uh, I get your point. I mean, uh, there are other countries where uh, that would be a debate. I think, you know, in, in the case of uh, many of the former Eastern European countries, you might have that kind of debate.
1: Yeah, so that's the thing. You, you, you At some point, you, you want to be reasonable, but then at the same time, you don't mm. want to give other people ideas.
0: But that being said, uh, uh, certainly don't quote me on that one. Let's let's shift our attention briefly here, Snesipo, to Tanzania, where Barrick Barrick Gold uh, has agreed to pay a 300 million uh, US dollar, uh, I guess, uh, um, sum here to the Tanzanian authorities, which effectively ends uh, the ban on uh, export of uh, mineral concentrates on the part of uh, Barrick Gold, uh, but also uh, resolves uh, a long standing dispute that they've had with Tanzanian authorities.
1: Yes, because remember, um, two years ago, the Tanzanians were, they said, no, there shall be no mining unless the people shall benefit. So they find Barrick, um, the, the a company before Barrick, they find them the equivalent of two centuries worth of tax. So this agreement, which allowed them to restart mining, uh, is giving first thing, number one, the government a shareholding in the in the in the in the in the mines because mm. remember they own three mines in Tanzania. And then and then what it also does is that Barak has agreed to invest in the country. Uh you know, FDIs are very, very, very important. Um yeah. So like literally and then and then they will also receive so it's the stake as well as the economic benefits such as taxes Royalties, clearing fees and participation and cash distributions effectively. So it's a way for the government to increase their revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the p- part of the logic, so one of the reasons why I think you wanted to discuss this, Werner, because uh, I actually didn't pick this up until you pointed it out, was that it's sort of like it's sort of like a government strong arming uh global mining house. Well,
0: sort of, You know, I I mean, I don't know if I'd call it strong-arming, but uh, for me, Snezibut does join, uh, you know, a, a trend that we've started to see of many multinational and in particular even you know uh, mining companies that have a presence here in South Africa and other uh, you know companies in other sectors who have uh, you know found themselves in uh, a bit of a pickle when it comes to uh, regulatory compliance issues we saw something similar in the DRC uh, with uh, you know where some of the South African and Canadian companies uh, you know who uh, were up in arms there when uh, you know there were some changes to The uh, framework governing uh, mineral royalties and rights, and we saw something similar with MTN in West Africa. Uh, It's quite clear for me that uh, you know, increasingly on the part of African states, there's this sense that you know we're not going to be pushed over by some of these large corporations, which is something that uh, happened, I guess, with uh, a a lot of prevalence in the
1: past. I don't think it's a function of like uh, being pushed over. I think it's a function of uh, it's more to do with the fact that. The ground belongs to the state. The resource needs to filter down to those who live the closest to the mind. It's a, it's a, it's a functional principle. Mm. Now,
0: No, no, sensible. You, he, hear, me, hear me correctly. What I'm suggesting is that historically, in many mineral jurisdictions on the continent of Africa, you didn't have this kind of assertion of the right that you're talking about. Uh, the right of the people to their minerals because they are in the ground, right? Uh, so you don't have that assertion of that sovereign right um, until fairly recently. And so I guess in many ways, this is a marked departure um, in defense of uh, these countries and their own interests. But let's pause there. We'll come back to that particular story. And I also wanted to touch on these IRPs when we come back. We saw that uh, policy gazetted towards the end of last week, and uh, we'll touch on that. Seven minutes it is now before 8 p.m. It's our business wrap. And uh, joining me to do this is a uh, market analyst and ind- uh, market commentator, I should say, an independent analyst, Snesipo Maninjwa. Now, Snesipo, just before we went to the break, I mean, we are talking about Barrick. And uh, uh, let me maybe make the point that I was making. So um, I do think that there is a significant departure to what one would have seen, say, three or four decades ago when it comes to many mining jurisdictions across the continent. I mean, the fact that the DRC, uh, changed its uh, laws recently uh, to claim a bigger share for that nation's fiscus in uh, uh, the bountiful resources they have in that country shows you that uh, you know during that time of uh, Laurent Kabila or even Mobutu's time that these guys weren't even interested in negotiating.
1: Sir, so, okay, I am going to I'm going to I'm going to go differ from you.
0: Okay. The reason
1: why they changed their tune is because they want to gain popularity. It, it's not altruistic. No, I, I didn't say
0: it's altruistic, but all I'm suggesting now is I'm that saying, there's I, a departure. I'm
1: agreeing, I'm agreeing mm. that it's a departure. Mm. But also remember that the original agreements that were signed years ago, not now, were based on patronage of uh the dictator mm. or the ruler managed to personally benefit. It's yes. only now because they also want to stay in power. It's not that's why I was like it's not t- technically altruistic because The DRC with some of the gold mines, both internationally and um, some of the South African players involved in that whole mess, is that it's based on them trying to maintain power and to maintain some sort of principle saying that, oh, we're doing this for the people. But it's not because also at the same time, it is also not consistent with all the companies. So remember, they've been targeting companies. It's not just that. There are other gold miners in Tanzania. So at the same time, it's also specific. At the same that's the same principle. Even if you need to look at the West African issues of MTN, MTN is not the only international player, but however, they were the ones most targeted.
0: Mm. Okay, no well, fair point. And uh, maybe at some point, we must make some time to have a discussion there about, uh, in particular, I guess the, this case of uh, Tanzania and uh, um, you know what lessons it gives us. Because I mean, this is the same country that when they discovered oil, uh, the president then Molimu uh, said, "Leave that stuff there." Uh, until you have a plan on what to do with it. But, Snezibo, I want us to, to shift our attention now to uh, the integrated resource plan that came out of uh, the uh, Department of uh, Mineral Resources towards the end of last week. And uh, I'm quite interested in, I guess, you know, how this chimes up uh, to some of the utterances we've heard about, you know, uh, uh, um, Um, more greener sources of energy and uh, the IPP program uh, because what becomes very clear to me is that uh, coal is going to continue to be part of our energy reality for a very long period of time.
1: So uh, finally the IRP got released, got dropped on Thursday slash Friday. So the key key thing to take out from the IRP is number one, coal is still very much part of our lives Mm. and number two, uh, nuclear is making a quasi-comeback, not a complete new build, but a modular build, mm. which extends the useful life of Kubrick. What this means is this is the, one of the things we need to practically accept with Afghanistan. Africa as a country is a coal-rich resource country. Number two, regardless of the proponents of renewable energy may say, coal is the cheapest. It is the one you can build from, from a CapEx perspective, as well as from a power generation. Because remember, mm. the IRP and the Africa, we use what you call um, a least cost use of electricity. So we yeah. choose the, the allocation is based on the cheapest option. Coal is baseload. Mm. Solar, the only one who's not whose baseload is gas. Uh, the sun and the wind is all dependent on our Lord Jesus.
0: Mm. And mean' a very
1: yeah. real thing so to Bok-
0: here's the question for me on on the coal issue right? I, I think you know a lot of people are, as you correctly say, have probably bought uh, into a lot of the uh, advocacy around uh, IPPs without understanding what those mean for our base load and sort of what happens in peak demand. Um, and I'm quite interested on the storage side of things. so so if indeed uh, you know we we invest as much as we d- would in uh, wind and p- and uh, photovoltaic, uh, forms of energy uh, on the IPP side of things. Where are we going to store some of this stuff?
1: So, okay, um, I'm going to go get technical. Just, a, I'm hoping you can follow my train of thought. So, solar only CSP thermal, which is a which is a form of solar energy, has the ability to store sure. energy and therefore can can uh, generate base load energy. Mm. Number two, number two is that if you read the IRP, the IRP has made provision for storage. Now, ESCOM has it within I'm not sure how far their plans are because they're seeing different forms of headaches in their lives currently. Um, is that they had a couple of years ago invested the option of battery storage. Mm. Now battery storage has become um quite a thanks to Elon Musk for those people has become sort of the new buzzword because it allows you to use renewable energy plus storage, which will give you a baseload energy profile. Mm. Now, the the issues with that is, number one, the size of the facility and also the cost as well as the generation possibility. The issue is that nobody has absolutely run... um, has run a storage, a battery storage facility for longer than three years. There is a comparable facility in Australia, which was actually built that the one that I'm going to reference. They've managed to run for three years. And in fact, they've outperformed um, their estimates for electricity generation. But then again, the sun has been shining in that part of the world as a result of global warming more than you would believe mm. so it's being been also being aided by those aspects sure. but then again so again i'm going to take the the, the discussion back from what uh, malum guise said which is he makes reference to the concept of clean coal energy mm. the reason why i talk about clean coal energy because bar state capture and design defects that's what Madupi and kusili are supposed to be producing sure that the, the concept of clean coal energy has to do with the fact of how the product is actually mined and also how the power is actually gener- generated, as well as the design and the design and structure of the boiler maker. That greatly reduces the CO2 emissions, which is clean coal does, does actually fall within the ambient of the Paris. So they do recognize its role. So it does greatly reduce the emissions. But at the same time, what people forget, and I think we need to get a step back, South Africa is a developing country. And as a result, part of our, our key development challenges has always been about the fact that as much as we might be proponents of renewable energy, renewable energy as well as these other forms of energy do not create jobs. They do, but they only create jobs on a construction basis. However, the ongoing jobs forward, are uh, at most the solar pV facility one hundred megawatts, and these are um, the actual numbers at most employ twelve people, ten people at most, including the security, including the cleanup mm. which which for me does not does not compare to the value chain analysis of your core so, comparative
0: related to that so Nessie, but, tenor, i mean i 've got a question related to to um, i guess the job intensity of the different options here. One of the things I found quite surprising in this IRP is the fact that there hasn't been any modelling on what uh, the socioeconomic impact would be, for instance, on decommissioning of uh, some of that uh, existing capacity. I mean, it's 2,373 megawatts uh, from this year uh, right up to, uh, say, 1,050 megawatts in 2030. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we haven't done that, uh, does it not seem then that, you know, we're kicking for touch or kicking the can down the road when we say, hey, let's find another group of people to go and uh, put together their minds on a just transition and what that would look like in the absence of doing any socio economic impact here? Because one would think that if, if you find that the impact would be catastrophic, that it would change some of these numbers somewhat.
1: Mm. Okay, so the IRP is an energy plan. It is not a social economic development plan. So from a scope perspective, it is not part of their scope to actually look at that.
0: You, you what no, 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 wait. No, no, no. I agree with no, the No, wait, wait, wait. Was. Let me ask yeah, the question I... in a different way. You could undertake any initiative, right? Uh, you might be sinking a new shaft, but you would have to do an environmental impact assessment, right? You would also have to do some socioeconomic impact assessment. So you don't necessarily have to be someone who works or the project or the policy has to be in the socio-economic realm, but you, you have to at least model uh, what the socioeconomic impact is going to be of the different options you propose.
1: So one of the things that, so although it's not within the school, so the thing that I've got access to the numbers, it's just that I can't disclose it. I can't disclose it.
0: Or what and the socioeconomic impact
1: yeah, because okay. the thing is that mm. so you you see, remember we have a measure the social economic impact. So you from a reference point, I think Okusato or Lusa did a study two to three years ago. The guys would have to correct me if I'm wrong. Um they did a study on the social economic impact of the decommissioning of coal plants of coal plants. Part of the rationale mm. Was that with was the AIDC? To- yeah, mm. when they wanted to stop the signing of the uh, IP, uh PPA agreements. And they did it because you can't just, so how the, how the numbers are calculated is that you can't just look at the mine itself, mine facility itself. You also need to add in the value chain of it, which is the trackers, the people around in the town. And a lot of these towns, this is also one of my our failings of our government, is that when they take one decision on one side, there is no plan to remedy the damage of that one decision mm, on the other side. Mm. So we, they, so from those numbers perspective, there's the value chain aspect, and a lot of these towns, unfortunately, and it is quite a tragedy, is that they're going to become ghost towns, which then perpetuates greater social, our greater social economic ills in the country already, because as the as, as much as we, that's why I say that you've got to keep coal as a, a, mm. you've got to keep it as an option. But at the same time, you also need to, because we are not just developing for or we are developing sure, for the future. Sure. We also need to look at the fact that our country, our country, our country, we cannot, the, the purchasing of CO2 cannot be allowed because we will be sort of destroying the future for our grandchildren at the mm,
0: same time. And we know, I mean, some of those parts there, called Witbank, uh, have some of the highest levels of population uh, per square metre in the world. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, uh, we also need to respond to that and even the health implications of that. So but before I let you go, I mean, I, I guess I want to ask you now a, a bit of a political question. Um, and it relates to uh, one of the policy positions that are in this IRP, which say, uh, uh, retain the current annual build limits on renewables, wind and uh, PV, pending the report on a just transition. And I want to find out if that, I guess, squares up against what we saw in the National Treasury document a few uh, weeks ago, which was about saying, uh, don't constrain the base case uh, for renewables. Uh, and uh, maybe, in better as is isn't but uh, I do get a sense that that policy position in the gazetted uh, IRP on Friday doesn't really chime up to, to that suggestion of Creating an unrestrained or unconstrained base case for renewables.
1: So one of the one of my my biggest my biggest um, problems with the with the with um, the R P the R P has had a maximum economic growth for South Africa of about four percent. We all we both know that for our country to grow, which is what Malum Tito's document says, that we need to grow at about five six percent annually. So. That's why he said it must be unconstrained because the minute you constrain it, just trying to give you a numbers perspective, I think Christopher Yeland actually had a beautiful graph on it, um, beautiful graph on it. If you look at the generation, the available generation factor today in 2019 it is equivalent to 2009. So what that means is that if energy is not available, development can't happen because you are constraining me. That is why Malumkito's document speaks about not constraining, because that's also the problem of IRP. The IRP constrains, saying that we're good to go as long as we don't go above four percent. the IPPs or the IRP? The IRP, I'm sorry. No, no. so, So
0: the IPP, the IRP says the current annual build limits on renewables, in particular. Uh, should be kept the same pending this report on a just transition. And I'm suggesting that Tito in his document says the base case for renewables should not be constrained. So, so, and better is case, I'm just trying to follow... You so, know, so, 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 hmm. what,
1: so, so what he's saying is that, what Tito, what Tito is saying is that do not have a limit. Because if you do have a limit, what he's saying is that if you do have a limit, you are basically saying that should you hit your cap, which is what the IRP Integrated mm-hmm. Resource Plan says, you can't procure more. I see what it, okay. Dito is saying, so they are diverging in terms of policy, and this is also mm-hmm. the issue, What are the issues in our government, is that they are diverging. What Dito is saying, do not constrain, because if you constrain, regardless of how many developments you have, you will always be constrained by your availability of the energy. Huh. Whereas the IRP says that According to this budget year in Zant, we can't afford more than 4% growth in this country, which means that our country is not structured in a way to be employment in absorbing. Remember, the number, the key number for us is 5, 6%. So remember what was said a couple of months ago, which one of the ESCOM executives got in trouble for saying that it's great that the country is not growing, the GDP is growing, not Mm -hmm. growing, because it means we'll have electricity. That's a problem. Because think about it, Aya, it's, a, it's quite a simple way. So if you're a high-energy user, let's say you're a platinum mine, you want to go build a new platinum mine, ESCOM switches you off for one day.
0: You're not going to build it.
1: You're not going to build it. Oh. Because what EFSCOM is doing, although what compensates you, they net off your electricity. it's steeple. and Right now, platinum is at high-high prices I can tell you right now for free the numbers the guys are losing, the top players are losing because I, I've, I've got some of these. Um, they're losing upwards north of 150 in some cases depending on the size of mine, depending on how long they switched off for because remember they get a notice earlier than all of us when it comes to load shedding. For about eight hours they're losing about 150 million rand a day. Of
0: course yeah.
1: That's top line gone. Mm. So... So when, oh, that's why I wasn't wondering if, 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 if they are contradicting each other. I get them, this is where I only agree. But Tito, I'm agreement? with Tito, you cannot constrain electricity in this country because we are developing and we need to grow out. How is industrialization going to happen if we're chapter 4%? Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm getting a sense here that Tito is saying don't constrain the base case for renewables. Um, and maybe Gwede is saying, "Hey, let's constrain it for renewables." And maybe, and maybe uh, okay. coal, and maybe coal and nuclear might carry the slack. I mean, uh, I'm playing in the realm of conjecture here. So, uh, so uh,
1: what those so, so <laughs> key part of the, uh, a policy departure from the RP is that there's something called captive power, which is the lo- what is what the large industrials have started to mm. actually consider. What he's saying, captive power is saying when he says, "Don't constrain," he says, "Okay, if you guys can't meet the demand." allow private sector to step in. Mm. So that would be but what that does, which is also the flip side, it takes away ESCOM's good paying clients and leaves ESCOM with the rest of us and you know Tina, we're not yeah. the best of payers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't no I'm not saying I'm just generalizing. If you look at where ESCOM gets its revenue from, which is one of the issues, remember in the net application. Mm. Their high income clients pay. They're never late for payment. Mm. Let's do this. I want us to pause here.
0: and uh, Unfortunately, we are running out of time and we're going to have to make uh, uh, some other space for us to have this uh, debate on the integrated resource plan because there's all manner of other issues, even around cross-subsidization and the cost per megawatt hour. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're a big user like that, uh, it would make sense for you to have a much lower unit cost of electricity. And if you're a better payer uh, like them, uh, unlike uh, uh, some of the people from, you know, as Dito says, a township that I won't mention. But let's pause there uh, and maybe uh, allow me to lobby Kuma here for a second for us to do a follow on on this issue of the integrated resource plan because you know we might not be familiar with it or might not be aware of it but it does affect us nonetheless and uh, we'll have to leave it there uh, for this evening but uh, please make time and so that we can uh, you can come in and we can have this conversation once again.
1: Okay, I was getting excited. Oh, lo <laughs>